0: don't need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look. Be your own interior designer with big design, small budget. Here's your host, Betsy Helmuth. We are back this week, continuing our designer spotlight series with affordable interior designs, Angela Lutzker. Angela, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yes. Well, we're excited not only to have you on the podcast, but also to have you at Affordable Interior Design. Tell us a little bit about your time with us so far.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. So I started in October um, and I have had um, a few um, remote clients that I've done, um, you know, through FaceTime. And then I've had a few in person and um, a few have been bachelors, a few have been families with dogs and kids and, you um, I've done some for some single women also. So it's been kind of a good mix of um, projects.
0: And you were a part of our Washington, D.C. expansion. Mm -hmm. It was our first time venturing to a territory outside of the New York environs, Mm -hmm. right? Because we do the suburbs, we do the Hamptons. But this was our first big leap into a total another state. Mm -hmm. Um, So tell us what makes Washington, D.C.ers different than New Yorkers, or just people in general
1: well, I've lived a few different places I've lived here for almost eight or about eighteen years, and I've lived in a few different places and I do feel like we're a little different here. It's kind of a melting pot it's kind of a um, people like to describe it as like the efficiency of the North with the charm of the South, um, which I think is pretty accurate, but it is um a melting pot of people from all over the country, all over the world, and it's rare to meet someone that grew up here. I mean, you do find that, but it's just not that common compared to people who have moved here for, you know, something with the government or, you know, some kind of um, um, work within, you know, different agencies, nonprofits, and whatnot. Um, but of all the places that I've lived, this is the, definitely the most of, you know, kind of that melting pot. Fewer people that you find that live here, generation um, after generation. So I do think that's what kind of makes it different.
0: Well, and speaking of where are you from originally? I'm originally from Tennessee,
1: um, Nashville, and then a little town outside of Nashville, Cookville. Um, and then my husband's from California and we lived out there for a little bit and, um, he works for the government and he is, um, he, he does disability rights work for, um, the department of justice.
0: So what got you into interior design? What sparked your love of this field? What made you decide, you know what, I want to be an interior designer? So
1: I, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but when I look back at my life, certainly when I was a um, really young child, I always was fascinated by architecture. And, and kind of more specifically, I was really curious about how people dwell in a space and I probably couldn't have articulated that at the time, but that's kind of what was going through my head at the time. And I was really interested in how that changed over time and particularly interested in early uh, 20th century through about 1940s um, architecture. And when I was growing up, a lot of the buildings from that era were kind of boarded up and not really celebrated. and But that was kind of what I was more interested in. And I remember just always wanting to be able to see inside. I remember always analyzing um, houses, in particular, what I liked about them, what I didn't. And I, it wasn't just a beautiful house. I think I had a definite appreciation about the transformation that can take place, and that, you know, definitely more appreciation if someone took the time to take a house that really wasn't um, beautiful and you know made it beautiful. So I was always kind of watching, you know for that. And, and then I think it really, you know, I didn't know that other people weren't thinking the same thing because you, you know, you really know what you know, but I, um, really got interested when we bought our first home. And I think a lot of people, um, enjoy decorating their first house and, you know, getting everything the way they wanted. And so that was definitely, um, probably the biggest turning point. And then my friends started asking me to help them. And I noticed that I really not only enjoyed helping my friends, but also, um, the design process and then just the satisfaction, um, of making them happy too.
0: Because you didn't go to interior design school as college or right after college, you went a little bit later. That's right. So you had a life kind of before you became an interior designer. Tell us about that life. Tell us what you were doing. So I guess my two passions have always been art and design and health
1: and wellness. And then woven in that is I'm just an educator at heart. And I, when I look at my whole adult life, including college, I was always teaching something. So education is really important. And I, that's one of the things that drew me to AID as well, because your emphasis on education, and I think you're an educator at heart. I see that with your blogs and your podcasts and um, the books you've written. So that was a really big um,
0: draw for me. And Sorry, so- my dog, and I'll put this on the podcast, <laughs> okay. it's fine, but my dog... Normally, super well behaved, but there is one dog in this neighborhood that he is like arch nemesis. <laughs> and of course, that dog is out taking a walk right now. So, excuse me, but yeah. So the focus on education. So, were you originally an educator? So yes, I've got, I've got my. Oh dog yeah, too. <laughs> what kind of dog do you have? She's
1: a long-haired Chihuahua. Now, you're, is your a Chihuahua too? Yeah. Okay. See, we're Mine's both the short hair version have Chihuahuas. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there we go. I love it. Yes. Um, well, we both have our chihuahuas on our laps, listeners. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um,
1: so I started out with a degree in elementary education, and I originally taught um, elementary school. And um, I, when I finished, um, and then you know, my second degree was in my master's in interior design. And when I finished it, my kids were in elementary school, and I knew that the design work was going to be a lot of evenings and weekends. And I I think my natural reaction to learning something new is wanting to teach it to other people. And I also just really wanted their, um, schedule. So I thought, well, you know, I'll go back and I'll teach again, but this time I'll teach art and I'll, you know, take all this information that I've learned in design school and I'm going to bring it into the classroom. And I really enjoyed that. And it was perfect because I was able to be at the bus stop and really keep their schedule. And then later, you know, kind of that, um, health and wellness thing was there. It's always been there, but, you know, I'd never really had a career per se. So I, um, you know, feeling like, you know, my um, passions were sort of leading me in that direction and also wanting that flexible schedule with my family. I started a fitness uh, boutique business and taught fitness classes. So again, like I'm always teaching something. And um, so and then around the time that my kids started getting really independent, I started to get the design bug again. It never really stopped. I mean, I was always helping people with their design work. I was always kind of analyzing still and helping you know, helping people that I knew, um, certainly doing it for myself, and it was kind of a hobby. Um, and so I just kind of started looking around, and I found you guys, and I, I, I think I told Shannon in my first interview, I didn't apply with anybody else. You were the only job that I applied for, because that I was looking for just the right situation. And, um, this job really combines all the things that I like. And, um, it, you know, lots of working with people and is a really big emphasis on working with people. Whereas some design jobs, you know, you really are just behind a computer drafting. And I really most want
0: design jobs,
1: post design jobs. Exactly. Yeah. And I really wanted that, um, personal connection with people. That was really a, a key thing. And, um, and, you know, a lot of design is project management, and that's not what this is. It's more the personal connection and then the, the design work, which is all the things that I love. So,
0: well, that's exactly why I made this company because when I worked at a big firm, they weren't doing anything that I wanted to do as a designer. I was like, wait. I saw Mm -hmm. stuff on TV that was creative. There were constantly new clients. The transformations were quick. And now that I'm in a legit firm, now that I'm sitting here at the desk of the most famous designer I can think of, Mm -hmm. I have a limited scope of knowledge, but he was also a very famous designer, Tom Felicia. I was Mm -hmm. like, now that I'm at the dream job, Mm -hmm. in an intern capacity, but I was at the dream job at the highest level I would get to, watching him kind of, Uh, thinking of him as maybe my future self, right? I was like, well, this isn't what I want to be doing. I don't want to spend six months finding a rug. I don't want to write 10 invoices for that rug. I don't want to go get six samples and show them to the client and drive them to the Hamptons and drive the samples back and still not order a rug. Um, Right, right. And that's the most exciting part of the job. Most of the job is behind a desk invoicing you know, emailing vendors, arranging deliveries, those minutiae kind of things, which are also something that's interesting to me. I love a good spreadsheet, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't getting that creative fulfillment. It wasn't getting me out from behind the desk and to see new neighborhoods, to see, and I have the same thing as you, Angela, when you said, I always wanna peek in those houses because I bet in Tennessee, there were some amazing boarded up houses. Mm -hmm. You know, if you merge the South, with True. that kind of thing. I just have such a voyeuristic, um, need to, to peek inside people's houses. You're not getting that at a high and firm. <laughs> so yeah, but, um, yes. So that's interesting. And you mentioned kids several times. So how many kids do you have? Tell us a little bit about your family.
1: Sure. I have, um, two kids. My oldest is a boy. He's, um, 17, which blows my mind. And, um, I also have a 15 year old daughter and then um i have my husband of course and then we have our chihuahua that i was talking about earlier her name's flossie um but yeah it's gone by fast i can't believe how they've grown up it's 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 a completely different phase of life to have teenagers and um i feel lucky they're like really good kids and um but it's just so different now than it was before so
0: Yeah. Yeah, And it's nice to be able to kind of create your own thing and watch your own evolution, you know, from these different industries and wearing different hats. And I think it's really funny that you mentioned the educator background. I'm sure I knew that at one time, but I had forgotten it. But I really think when we're working with our clients, using our system, showing them the method of the floor plan game, we are educating them. That's what I think (laughs) of myself as when I'm with a client right I'm teaching them why I'm not just telling them put your sofa here because I'm showing them what would happen if we did it in other places and why not
1: mm-hmm. no I definitely feel like it's I um like the feeling of empowering the client to have the tools to you know fine-tune other parts of their house if they want to you know so
0: yeah I know what you mean by that yeah, we work in a really systematic way and when I'm with a client, I actually think of it as like a one-on-one masterclass. I'm going to they may not care about why I'm making their drapes touch the floor, but I want them to know. Mm-hmm. Because if they know, they'll do it. And mm-hmm. if I just say make your drapes touch the floor, they might forget. But when I teach them the lesson, when I go that step further and say, you have to have a bigger rug because all your seating needs to be at least partially on the rug, they're like, oh, and they're always grateful for that teaching. They're always like, I'm so glad you told me why you're doing this. Yeah, they do seem, I agree. They do seem to really like that extra bit of
1: information.
0: Yeah, it's very different than a normal interior designer who would give you the floor plan, send you on your way, and maybe you'd execute some of it and maybe you wouldn't. But at Mm -hmm. least with this package, you know, okay, I'm going to put that, you know, rug in that exact place. I'm going to have this exactly eight feet apart because, yeah. Mm -hmm. And speaking of process, what is your favorite part of the entire interior design process? Aside from the client interaction, like um, the actual design process part? Or if it's the client interaction, what piece of that interaction? Is it reviewing the questionnaire? Is it taking the home tour? just what piece is more interesting? I, I,
1: well, I, as far as meeting the clients, I really like meeting new people. And I just find that really interesting um, just to kind of be in a slice of their world for, you know, a complete strangers world for, you know, a couple of hours. And then uh, I've learned so much about them, you know, and I'm just doing this one little project, but then you learn so much about them it's very intimate, really. Um, and so far, everyone has been so nice. It's been really, really great. And I, you know, hope that it, would be the case but I you know anytime that you're in a customer service situation you never know but my experience has been wonderful and so I felt very lucky with that but um as far as the design process um so one of the things I guess I didn't talk about earlier was um that I do draw and paint and um I like and I, I promise this has a reason for me telling you this now but um an abstract painting um there's like a certain push and pull that happens during the process. And before I started working for AID, I did not use the mood board as a tool. Um, This is a new tool for me. And it's like become the way that I design spaces now. And I really enjoy working with the mood board. And I, I started kind of thinking when I was preparing for this podcast, I was like, why do I like the mood board so much? And I, I really think it's because it reminds me of the process I go through when I'm painting, except for I don't have paint and a brush. I have these images that I'm moving around trying to find balance in the same way that I am when I'm painting. And I think that's why I like it so much. And then, you know, right away, every decision, if it's going to bring balance or throw it out of balance. And so that is my favorite part is using that um, mood board.
0: That's very interesting, you know, because Bita was also a painter. I was also a painter. Mm -hmm. And it's funny how we all have been speaking about that, but in different ways. And I do think of the mood board is kind of my artistic expression of the room. Mm -hmm. I don't utilize it as a tool as much, even though whenever I'm stuck on something, I'll create my entire mood board and then see what's missing. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm missing a pop of color over there. Oh, I'm missing a curvy shape. Everything's so straight. You know, Mm -hmm. so I do kind of use it at the end. But more for me, it's my artistic piece. It's like my little (laughs) painting for them. You know, I really want it to look beautiful. Even, you know, of course, as a reflection of the room, but just in and of itself. Like, does it have kind of a frame around it? Did I put in a lovely background in terms of the paint color?
1: Mm-hmm. these are
0: all things I'm thinking of just so it looks pretty on its own. I want them to be able to show their friends like, look what Angela made for me. Look yeah. at this pretty little thing, you know? So I think that there's something to that mood board kind of standing alone right. as its own work. That's true. Art. It's very satisfying. It is. I,
1: it's satisfying to look at to it at the end, but I also find that that's my favorite part and my daughter and my husband really like puzzles and I've never been a person, my son and I do not like puzzles, but to me solving the client's um, list of things that they need and their needs for their home, it really is like a puzzle to solve. And I like that kind of puzzle. I just don't like the other kind of puzzle, but it, it is a puzzle in that way. And um, the mood board often I will think that I'll have in my mind, these elements are going to work. And then I put them in the mood board and I see right away, okay, this is not going to work and I can, I can manipulate it right away or, um, or sometimes if I'm really stuck, it can guide me. I can, I'll just start bringing in different things to see, you know, the different possibilities and then it'll kind of send me in a direction and then, you know, it will kind of get me unstuck if I'm stuck. And so I like that about it too.
0: Yeah, I definitely, you know, I never really thought of it as a puzzle. I like to think of it because I'm, it's very good that you have hobbies, Angela. I was just (laughs) speaking with Allison on last week's podcast and Allison and I don't have any hobbies. Um, We need to get a life. Uh, Maybe it's because we have children that younger dependent. Yeah, they're in the dependent phase, not the independent phase. But, you know, the one hobby I do have is I watch crime shows while I'm doing my design work. Mm-hmm. Like while I'm designing for a client, I watch Dateline. And I've always thought of it as kind of like a crime where I'm piecing together the clues. <laughs> so it's that same kind of thing. And then at the end, I've got the culprit. But um, no, I feel like trying this, trying that, going down this path. Oh, that was the wrong path. Going back, to erasing all of that. It does remind me of some kind of puzzle or something to solve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Right. I agree. I agree. And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com classes to get your bundle or your online class today. What would you say is the most important element in interior design just in general?
1: Balance. Um, And I think editing is important, too. I think knowing when to stop, knowing not when to to not overwork a space. But I think having balance. um, If, like you mentioned, you know, too many curvy shapes, you need a straight, you know, I feel like balancing those shapes, pattern um, and texture versus smooth surfaces, you know, light and dark colors, um, heavy and light furniture. I I think the balance really is important. And I think you can even take I think if a person has a lot of furniture that they're not able to replace, if they have at least the space balance, then it's, it's really going to be, you know, not so bad, actually. I think, I think it's worse to have a bunch of new things that are out of balance than um, maybe some things that they're not crazy about that they can't afford to replace and have everything be in balance, you know, as in, in the room in general.
0: Right. Yeah, like placing too many upholstered furniture pieces on one wall, too many case goods on the other by just Mm -hmm. mixing those up, even if they're hand-me-downs, even if they're sentimental from grandma's house and you just feel like you've got to live with them. I just had a client yesterday who had a ton of sentimental stuff. She just had to live with it. And of course, none of it would be what I would choose necessarily because first of all, it hasn't been available for a 100 years. But second of all, it looks a little bit dated, but you can still make it better. By mixing mm-hmm. it up, moving it around the space, layering some things on top. I think it was really interesting what you said about editing. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people do have trouble with that. Is there a tip you would give around that? Like, how do you know when you should stop? Well, I think
1: the biggest thing that I see with clients, with my friends and family, I think it is that um, a lot of people are afraid to have an empty spot on the wall or just negative space for the eye to rest. And so I think especially if you're new to a home, I think just um, not hanging all your pictures at once, maybe maybe hanging a couple and then like, just kind of sit with those empty spaces for a while and, and see how you feel over time. Because I really do think you need a place for the eye to rest. And if everything's important, then nothing's important. So, um, mm-hmm. So maybe, I think it's hard to know. And I think if you let those walls sit for a while, then you kind of know what the room's asking for a little more. Um, but it's hard because it is hard to know when to stop or, you know, but I, but I do think that's the biggest thing that I see is people are afraid of negative space.
0: Well, I like the idea of not needing to have all the answers at the beginning because Mm -hmm. wait and see how you live every day. Maybe Mm -hmm. you're never actually looking at that wall at the bottom of the stairs. Maybe you're always looking at the wall that's going up the stairs and you wouldn't have noticed that if you would have just started hanging art as soon as you moved in. You'll find those focal points depending on where you put the couch. You may not even notice that particular painting that's your favorite because you Mm -hmm. hung it behind yourself, you know, even if that's a prominent wall. I think that's so important. You know, really getting that plan, but not needing to have all the answers.
1: Mm-hmm. Because right. you find
0: things over time, too. That's true. Mm-hmm. And when you fall in love with a piece, you want to be able to incorporate it. You don't want to have to remove something necessarily. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. And so what are some of your favorite stores to find these items?
1: So, I definitely have some go to's, but I found that um, I don't, there's not just one store that I like everything they have. So, I, you know, I sometimes will be like, okay, I like sofas from Crate and Barrel, but I like lighting from Anthropology and um, I like, um, you know, t- tables from West Elm. <laughs> so I, I really have a hard time like just picking one. Um, but I would say the usual suspects are Room and Board, West Elm, Crate and Barrel. Um, anthropology, um CB2, sometimes Pottery Barn, um, less and less restoration hardware. I think I used to, um, I think I think a lot, I think one of the problems is there's so many things with restoration hardware that are large scale. And in the area where I live, most of these homes are historic or people are living in condos and it, there's just not enough space for those large scale pieces. Um, not that they're not beautiful, but I just haven't found that they really fit Um, the scale of the houses around here. Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) You know, so many people think that when they move to the suburbs, that they're going to have these huge spaces that they're going to have to fill. And while the spaces might, you know, they might have more square footage, technically, the rooms are similarly sized to an apartment Mm -hmm. because they are historic homes. We don't, right right now, we're not designing in Texas or in places that have a lot of new developments. We're on the East Coast in New Mm -hmm. England, where a lot of the older places are still around. And so maybe they've knock down walls to make it open concept. But -hmm. at the end of the day, the scale of living was smaller. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I find oftentimes, whether I'm working in the suburbs or working in people's homes, that I'm using the same sizes of furniture. And that Mm -hmm. did surprise me moving out here. Yeah. Yeah. That that surprised me too. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then what do you think is the most important item in someone's home, whether it's decor or furniture? So
1: I go back and forth between the dining room table or the, or the table where you eat most of your meals and the sofa. I mean, the sofa is so important because it needs to be comfortable. It's hard to source online because you know, you need to sit on it and it really needs to function. It's usually a place that gets a lot of wear and tear. A lot of people are spending time on it every day, but then I feel like the table is where everyone's has their celebrations and most of their family moments are at the table. It's probably the most memorable piece of furniture that maybe your family will have. So I kind of go back and forth between those two.
0: When I love thinking about the piece of furniture is the memory that you're going to have because that's an interesting way to reflect. That's interesting. There's a lot of communal,
1: you know, behavior around the table. I guess, and then also the kids are doing their homework there. Um, usually when our family is engaged in conversation, it's at the table. So if if we're all together that way, and then, you know, it breaks down from there. So it, you know, sometimes it can be on the couch, but as the kids get older, it's less and less. And it's um,
0: funny because both you and Allison mentioned the dining table and I actually prioritize it pretty low.
1: Oh, really? Okay. Because
0: Mm -hmm. it gets so much traffic. My Mm -hmm. kids are making slime on it. My daughter was just coloring with markers, and she was going way off the page. I'm like, Eden, like half of this marker stuff is off the page. And she's like, I know. You know, (laughs) so I just try and not – of course, it's a nice-looking table, but I really didn't prioritize it in terms of budget Mm -hmm. because it gets so much love, Mm -hmm. and it shows. shows. Right, right, right. I didn't know if you meant the most important
1: in in terms of where you spend your money or – well, and oh. I didn't specify
0: no, and I I think, but I love the idea because I've really been thinking of it as more functional over a piece. But mm-hmm. I love the idea that the kids are kind of creating their memories around it. That's and it's one. I better step it up, Angela. This pure everybody control. has a
1: memory attached to it, at least right, yeah. because it's something that everyone uses.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's interesting uh, because those heavy use pieces, I'm always like, well, let's not spend as much or mm-hmm. we're going to switch that out in three to five years. And um, and maybe I should be thinking a little differently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's awesome food for thought. Well, speaking of food for thought, are there any final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with, Angela? Um, let's see. I, I
1: don't think so. I I will say, Um, I don't know if this is something that your listeners are curious about, but one of the things I will say as a designer over time is that in the early years, it was so important to, um, feel like I was expressing my own personal style and over the years now, I don't even care about that anymore. Like I already know what I would do. I'm more interested in what someone else's dilemmas are to be solved, um, that's more interesting to me now. If someone said, Oh, go in and design this space. You can do whatever you want. That used to be my dream scenario, but that's just not the case anymore because you know, over the years you, you already know what you want. Like you, now it's, how can I, now it's the challenge of how can I take this list of um, parameters and needs and obstacles and find something that's going to work for them. It's going to look beautiful. It's going to, you know, function and, and I think I've just really grown to love that challenge.
0: Well, and, and that's my favorite part. But and I think, you know, now I've gotten to the point where not, you know, like you said, you know what you want to do for them to solve their dilemmas. You're not as interested in pushing your own agenda or your own style. And for me, I've gone a few steps past that. <laughs> and now okay. I don't even know what my personal style is. If you would okay. have asked me when I started, I could have listed it Exactly. I could have put it in a box, handed it to you with a bow on top and said, this is me. Uh-huh. After so many years of adapting to the clients and loving that challenge, I almost can't design without that prompt. Interesting. I don't even know where I would begin. When I designed for myself, I had to hire an affordable interior design designer because uh-huh. I like so many things and my own vision had become so diluted. That is really
1: funny.
0: It so was, I, I should watch out for that. <laughs> well, it was pretty cool because I feel like a total chameleon. I see value in almost every single item mm-hmm. in terms of I could see a place where I could use that. I could see a reason why I might love that thing, mm-hmm. but it became so blended for me that when designing my own space, I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm not the person, huh? That's understandable. I think
1: I can see how that would happen because you've been doing this for a long time. It's a lot of spaces. I don't know if
0: you kept count, but it's well, it's a, over 2,500 at this point. That's a lot. Yeah, It is a lot, but you know, it's so beautiful. I'm almost, while it did feel when I moved into my own house and could do whatever I wanted, you know, I really had carte blanche mm-hmm. and it felt paralyzing and really sad to not say I'm going to Do each room the way I always dreamed when I was 23. Mm -hmm. At the same time, it felt like a much more mature approach. Like, this (laughs) feels healthier. This feels more natural. And I really love that I can appreciate styles that I wouldn't have ever considered before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's an evolution. It's fun to know that we're always evolving. But I think that that has been a huge surprise for me.
1: Yeah, I bet, and I was surprised too at the the change also. And um, yeah, I I I I I didn't see that coming so much, but um, but I've real, I mean, this this truly is my dream job. I've loved every minute of it. It's been wonderful, and um, I just I just you know really love um the approach that AID takes and that you take, um, and. The um, structure of the company and the uh, focus on education. And uh, I've just been really, really loving every minute of it.
0: Oh, good. Well, here's to many more washington d c. clients. We're trying yeah. to grow. it's It's been a slow start, but i'm uh, I'm excited for the possibilities there for the for the yeah. possibilities with our virtual packages, which are awesome and really mm-hmm. taking off. But it's also just great to have you on board because these different yeah. viewpoints yep. and to have people who have these different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. It really adds so much color to the process, but also to the depth of our team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you. I have I've really uh, had fun with this today. And yeah, thank you.
0: Well, thanks to you and Flossie for joining us. <laughs> and we'll be talking to you soon again, I'm sure. Sounds good. Thanks, well, Angela. Thank you. Bye-bye.